Well, hey guys, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. Welcome. So we are coming down to the end of this Christmas series that we've been doing called The Same Old Thing. And if it's your first time here, let me kind of explain to you the whole thing we're doing here, why we came about to this. So we all love Christmas. I mean, presumably we all do. I do. We love the gifts. We love the music. We love the decorations, the whole thing. It's just phenomenal. It's so much fun. But when it comes to the actual story of Christmas, the story of Jesus, if I'm being honest with you, I think we've kind of let the story go stale. You know, we've heard it so many times, every single church in America and the world, this year, the past 2,000 years, we've been doing the same story. And even if you're not a Christian, you kind of know the story of Christmas. And we're almost on autopilot. And, you know, when you're on autopilot, you kind of forget what you're doing. It's like how you end up at work and you haven't been paying attention for 20 minutes and somehow you've navigated turns when you're driving. Anyway, so my hope was that for this season, what we could do, and just in this church, kind of tap the brakes, hit the reset, and say, what would it look like if we began to look at the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas, as though it's the first time? To kind of just look at the characters and find out what's going on in their lives and maybe learn some new truths or learn some truths that we had forgotten and just say, what's going on? What can we pull from this? So the first week, if you weren't here, we talked about Mary. We talked about this idea that in life, we have our plans, we know what we want to be doing, but every once in a while, God throws you a curveball. And you, you find yourself in a place that you never thought you'd be in. You never, you never planned to be here. You wouldn't have planned to be here. And so the question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond when you find yourself in this new place? Second week, we talked about the shepherds. This idea that God gave the biggest announcement the world has ever heard, that the Messiah has been born, and he gave it to the shepherds. These guys who were considered outcasts in society, who were considered spiritually unclean, that even though, you know, even if they wanted to, they couldn't go into the church to worship. And, and we kind of, our takeaway was that we felt like God was telling us that because he went to these guys, that the message of Jesus is for everybody. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you are, God is here for you. And then last week, we talked about three groups. We talked about the wise men or the magi. We talked about King Herod. And we talked about the spiritual leaders. And the premise of last week's talk was that when we hear the story of Jesus, the message of Jesus, there's generally a couple of different responses. The Magi, it was very inspiring for them. For some people, it's intimidating. And I think maybe the most poignant part of last week is that for so many Christians, maybe just, let's just say every Christian, it's kind of become the same old thing. That somehow, in some way, we've gotten used to God. That we kind of take Jesus for granted. That he's almost an obligation in our life. Thank you for what you've done and I'll get to you when I have time. But today, since it is our Christmas service, I want to talk about Jesus, the big guy, right? It is his birthday. He is the reason for the season, so say the bumper stickers. So I thought, let's give him the finale since he is, in fact, the main event. Now, at this church, we do talk about Jesus every single week. There's so much that could be said about him. And so what I want to do today is kind of go back to the beginning, go back to the Christmas story and find out exactly why he came to this earth. So we're going to be in Matthew today, chapter 1, about verses 18 through 24. We'll be doing a couple of other things, but mainly this is where we're going to be at. So Jesus, uh, pardon me, Matthew, the author here, one of the disciples, just gets right into it. And he says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. He just doesn't waste any time. And he's letting us know that as a Jewish man, he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. This word Messiah is a Hebrew word. Does anybody know what the Greek equivalent 
of the word Messiah is? Yell it out if you know. Oh boy. Okay. The Greek word is Christ. That is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. A lot of people think Christ is like his last name, like it's Mary and Joseph Christ and his baby Jesus. But that is what Messiah means in Greek. That is his title, the anointed one, the Messiah. Since we're kind of talking about names, I want to say one more thing about his name, Jesus. And I don't want to wreck Christmas for anybody, but like we, you know, we call him Jesus, which is a Latin word. And it comes from the Greek name, Yesu, which comes from the Hebrew name, Yeshua, which means Joshua. So Jesus' actual name is Yeshua. And I was thinking this week, so many people say, John, I feel like my prayers aren't being answered. And I was like, well, it's probably because you're using the wrong name for Jesus, but I don't know. Maybe not. But let's talk about this name, Joshua, because this is his name. So why did they give him this name? What is so important about this name, Joshua? Who was this man to the Jewish people? So Joshua is a historical character. He is in the Old Testament, and he is one of the most famous people in the Jewish faith. He was a great warrior. He was a great general. He was the leader of the Jews after Moses, and he is famous because he was the one who set the people free. He was the one who led the Israelites out of captivity. So this name, Joshua, is associated with a tremendous leader who sets Jewish people free from the oppression. So with that, a couple of tidbits in mind, let's get into the Christmas story. So it says this. This is how Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what they're talking about right here is the virgin birth. It's a very famous part of Christianity. It's a very famous part of Jesus' life. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people have a problem with the virgin birth. Even a lot of Christians. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he goes, look, listen, John, I you know, believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he's God, and because of him, I can, you know, God and I are good. He goes, but the virgin birth thing, mm, I don't know. It's not that I don't believe it. I'm just, I'm not there yet. And I think a lot of people are there where they kind of hear this virgin birth thing, and they go, I just don't. I don't know. That sounds made up. Well, if that's you, that's okay. You know, you're allowed to be here and process your doubt and work your way through that kind of a thing. But you should know that you're not alone. Because Joseph, the father of Jesus, he didn't really buy it at first either. He heard it and he goes, mm, no, I don't think so. In fact, it says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, meaning very spiritual Jew. And he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. He, he gets this news about the virgin birth, and he's like, all right, look, here's the deal. Mary, you're great, okay, nothing against you, but we've got a couple of things going on here. Number one, you've, you've, you've either gotten knocked up by some guy, oh, that's fine, I'm not going to judge you, okay, or you're nuts. Because I understand you're, it's the virgin birth, okay, the Holy Spirit, right, sounds good. I don't buy that. That doesn't make sense to me, and I'm not going to make a big deal. I'm not going to make a big chetamone about this. It's an Italian word for you. Okay, we're just going to do it quietly. I'm not going to embarrass you or your family, but I'm going to go my way. You go your way because this whole virgin birth thing doesn't make sense. I'm not buying it at all. And as he's considering leaving this woman, because he thinks she's lying or got pregnant by some other guy, Matthew says this, as he was considering this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, that's important. 
the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He, go, he goes, I, I can see you're worried about this. Don't, it's not a problem. She is, in fact, telling the truth. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He says, Joseph, what you have to understand is that 700 years ago, the great prophet Isaiah talked about this moment. He said, you will know the Messiah has arrived when the virgin conceives and gives birth to a son. Because that's what's happening here. And he continues, and he says, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, because he will save his people from there. And he goes, stop, 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 stop. I think I know what you're going to say. I think, because it's, it's all coming, it's, it's coming clear now. The pieces are coming together. Are you telling me, let me just see if I got this right, that the virgin is conceived, she's giving birth to a son, my son, and I'm going to name him Joshua? Oh, oh, this is good. Because I know exactly what he's going to do. My son Joshua is going to come and save his people, all of us, from the oppression that we've been under with Rome. Oh my gosh, finally. We have been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for this Messiah, this Joshua, this person who's going to come and set us free. We thought God forgot about us. We've been looking for a long time. I mean, we've been under the oppression from the Assyrians, the Persians, the Babylonians. Oh, then it was the Greeks. Now it's Rome, and they're the worst. And finally, the Messiah Joshua, the great warrior who sets the Jewish people free, he is going to come and he is going to set our people free from Rome. And the angel looks at him and goes, well, you're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What's that? No, you're going to name him Jesus, Joshua, because he's going to set his people free from their sins. Huh. Well, this is awkward. I don't mean to tell you how to do your job, Angel, but that's not really a felt need right now. Um, we're good with the sin department. That big building over there, you see that thing down the street? That's the temple. When we do something wrong, we go there. There's a whole list of do's and do nots, and we do the things and the do nots. We go there, and we do a couple of things, and we're good. You ask any of my Jewish buddies, they'll tell you, we don't need help with the sins. We've got that covered. You know what we need? We need help with Rome. Rome is an issue for us. Rome is a problem right now for us. We don't need saving from the sins. You know who does? Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Rome, they need saving from their sins, and we need saving from them. Yeah, Rome, they're the ones who need the saving from sins. We need saving from Rome. You know what we need before my son gets here? If you could tell God this one, we need a savior with a sword. That's what we're looking for. That's the felt need right now. And for Jesus' whole life, this was going to be a continual problem for him. The Jews would look at him and go, you call yourself a Messiah, but you're not acting like what we thought you'd be acting like. You're not doing or saying the things that we thought you'd, you'd be doing. Because for them, a Messiah was this, was this person that would come and conquer the world. Because in their life, all they knew was one people group fighting another people group. Their God against the other gods. And so when they read all the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament talking about the coming Messiah, when they read things like every knee shall bend, they thought that meant at the point of a sword. They thought that meant at the end of a battle, every knee will bend at the sword. 
held by our Messiah. We as Christians who have read this, we know that it says, every knee shall bend at the name of Jesus. All his life, Jesus would confuse every single person, especially the Jews, because they said, if you're calling yourself the Messiah, Joshua, the great warrior, why are you coming as a baby? Why are you riding a donkey into Jerusalem and not a stallion? See, they wanted a Messiah who had power and might, and Jesus came with mercy. John the Baptist, a relative of Jesus, a forebearer of Jesus, he was actually involved in the Christmas story. We talked about it in week one with Mary. He was even beginning to question whether or not Jesus was who he claimed to be. He sent his buddies to go talk to Jesus, ask him a question. He goes, ask him this. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Because you do a couple of things that look like something a Messiah would do, but then you're doing a lot that doesn't. So are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we look for somebody else? Should we keep looking, or are you the guy? This question would constantly plague Jesus his whole life because he refused to be put into a box as to how the Jews thought he should act. But of course, this whole conversation never actually took place because when you hear the word of God, when you speak to an angel of the Lord, you just shut up, you listen, and you do what he says. And that's exactly what Joseph did. It says this, when Joseph woke up from that dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So what I want to talk to you about today is the announcement about the name because we read it and it says, you are to name him Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. And we hear this, and there's like no reaction. I mean, I'm even looking at you guys. There's no reaction. There's no joy. And I was thinking about how can we read something like this and not just be overcome with emotion and joy? What is happening? Where is the disconnect when we read these words, this announcement to Joseph that Jesus is coming, you are to name him Joshua, the great warrior, because he will save his people from their sins. What is going on here? I think the problem is we read this, but what we're actually hearing is that he will forgive his people of their sins. That's different. And if we're not careful, we will reduce Christmas to forgiveness. Let me say that again. If we're not careful, we will reduce Christmas to forgiveness. Maybe you're a Christian in the room, and your whole Christian experience, maybe you've been a Christian for years and years and years, your whole Christian experience can be summarized by nobody's perfect, God forgives. Eh, nobody's perfect, but God forgives. I mess up, but God forgives. I failed, God forgives, rinse and repeat, over and over, day after day, year after year, nobody's perfect, but hey, God forgives. But the message to Joseph that night, the message of Christmas, the, the message of the entire gospel is so much bigger than nobody's perfect and God forgives. Jesus came to deliver us from the power of sin. That is the message of Christmas. The name Joshua, the name Yeshua, the name of Jesus is right. He is the general. He is the great war. But the difference is he came to free us from the oppression of sin, the kingdom of sin, the slavery and the bondage of sin. 
That's the Joshua who came. There's a very famous story in the New Testament. It's called The Woman Caught in Adultery. And these spiritual leaders, they catch this woman in adultery. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. It's a very interesting question if you ask me. Okay, but they find this woman. They drag her up the steps of the temple, and they throw her at Jesus' feet. Throw her in the ground right in front of Jesus. And they go, hey, Jesus, let me ask you a question. The law of Moses that we all obey tells us that this woman can be stoned to death for what she's done, that we legally have the right to do this. What say you? What do you think we should do? They wanted to trap him. They were hoping he was going to say something that they could get him in trouble, maybe get him killed, maybe get him thrown in jail. What do you think we should do? So he looks at them and he goes, yeah, you're right. You, in fact, you are absolutely 100% correct. We are allowed, and he goes, here, here's a rock. Go ahead. Who wants it? You? And he goes, but there's a caveat. Before you drag her out back and you stone her, there's just there's one thing I would challenge you. Whatever one of you guys has no sin in your life, you throw the first stone. You start the execution. And famously, they lower their heads and they walk away. And they knew what he was saying. And then Jesus says two things. One famous and one not famous. He bends down, I imagine, he picks this woman up and brushes the hair out of her face and, you know, tears from her eyes. And He says something famous. He says, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. And really, he's the only person that could condemn us. He is God in the flesh. And he looks at her and everything that she did and the mess of her life, and he goes, I forgive you. I don't condemn you. And then he says something that's not famous. Then he says something that we don't really quote too much. Go and sin no more. Go. Leave your life of sin. And you read this and you go, is that possible? Can you actually, Jesus, are you, are you, are you saying that we can actually go and sin no more? That we can actually live a life without sin. Are you saying it's actually possible for us to say no to sin? He's having a conversation later on with the same spiritual leaders, and he says this. I love it. He goes, the thief comes, and I think he's talking about Satan here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come. He goes, my mission here on this earth, the reason I was born, the reason I'm here today, I have come. That they, meaning you, every single person, may have life and have it to the full. And that sounds a lot bigger than forgiveness. That sounds a lot bigger than neither do I condemn you. Because neither do I condemn you. What does that do? What does forgiveness do? That brings you back to zero. That hits the reset. That gives you a fresh start. But he's saying, I came to give you life and life to the full here and now. I have come so that you can absolutely go and sin no more. It is possible now that I am here. Paul, who was one of the New Testament authors, follower of Jesus Christ, used to be Jewish. He um, actually hated Jesus. He hated Christians. His job on this earth was to go around, kill Christians, persecute them, throw them in jail. 
One day he was traveling to a city and he met the resurrected Jesus. And his life was changed forever. And in that moment he became a Christian. And he went on to write over half of the New Testament. And he wrote a letter to a group of Christians in Rome. And he's trying to talk about this whole Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. He's trying to put a theological framework, if you will, around this whole thing that Jesus is talking about. And he says this, therefore, do not, that's a command, which means he thinks you can do this. He goes, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. He goes, don't let sin be king in your life. Don't obey it like you're under its authority anymore. And you read this and you go, is this a, we have a choice, Paul? Because it seems like I don't have a choice. It seems like everywhere I go, even though I've said yes to Jesus, I am constantly falling into sin. He continues, he says, do not offer any part of yourself, any part of yourself to sin as an instrument for weakness. He goes, but rather, he's like, there's another option. Because if you're a Christian and you've been living your life as fail and forgive, mess up and forgive, screw up and forgive, rinse and repeat over and over, if this has been your Christian experience, he says, rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, this life in the fullness that Jesus was saying. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master. I love the fact that he kind of personifies sin right here. He makes sin as though it's a person in your life. And he goes, don't let sin be the master in your life anymore. And whether you're a Christian or not, you kind of get what he's talking about here. Because he's saying, you know, you know what the feeling is when, when you have almost a split personality, this tension in your life, this push and pull, like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but here I am doing it. I know this is the wrong thing, but look at me, I'm doing it again. He goes, that push and pull, don't let that thing be a master in your life anymore. He says, because sin, for the wages of sin, is death. The outcome of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. What he's saying is sin kills things. Sin kills things things. And every single person in this room has either been affected by sin or has seen something killed by sin. You've seen marriages killed by sin. You've seen finances killed by lack of self-control, sin. Families torn apart by sin. Addiction, destroy lives, sin. You look in the mirror and you can't stand the way you look because sin has destroyed your self-esteem. But Jesus was born into this world on that Christmas Eve to set you free from these things. He took the name Joshua to release you from the nation of sin, from the captivity of sin, from the oppression of sin, from the slavery of sin. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of Christmas, the Christmas story is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the thing is this, we read this verse, many of us memorize it as children, and we just see it like Jesus is a ticket into heaven, a ticket to the afterlife. But it's so much more than that. 
What Jesus is saying, he goes, the gift of eternal life starts now, in this world. Moving away from sin, saying no to sin, being set free from sin, that's eternal life now. So maybe you're a Christian in the room, and you have been living this life of fail and forgive, rinse and repeat, day in, day out, bogged down by the things in your life. Let me remind you of something. Because every once in a while, it just takes one person to remind you of a truth that maybe you forgot, or maybe you just never knew. But for the Christians in the room, let me just tell you this on this Christmas day. Sin is not your master. Sin is not your master. Lust is not your master. Lack of self-control is not your master. Alcohol, not your master. Opioids, not your master. Anxiety, depression, anger, greed, they're not your master. And you may have handed the keys of your life over to these things, and they have been leading you by your nose through your whole life, but Jesus, on that Christmas, came to let you know that when you say yes to him, sin is no longer your master. You don't have to live this life anymore. But you hear this, and, and, and it resonates, and, and you say, yeah, theologically that makes all kinds of sense, John, but I've tried. But I can't beat these things. I have tried, but I can't beat these things. You're right. You can't. If you could have, you would have. But there's a clue as to how you can, and it actually comes in the prophecy about the virgin birth. 2,700 years ago, God let us know exactly how you were going to conquer this. It says this, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him, not name him, but call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And yeah, this is talking about Jesus, that God would put on flesh, and he would walk with us, walk amongst us. He would be with us. But Jesus, in his ministry, said this. Those of you said this to me, if you really want to be free, if you really want the power of God in your life, then I have to go. i got to leave this earth because somebody else has to come. And it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not only with us, but is in us. Paul talks about it like this. He goes, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. He goes, if you really want to be sin." If you really want to make sure it is not your master anymore, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. It goes on. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you hand the keys over, when you say you drive, you're in control, when you do this, the results are very clear. Sin, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, 
lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, it goes on, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like that. Basically what he's saying is sin kills things. Sin kills things. But the Holy Spirit, not you, you can't do it. You've tried. If you could, you would. But the Holy Spirit, if you tap into the Holy Spirit, if you submit to the Holy Spirit, it will produce this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against these. He goes, do as much of this as you want. And then he ends the section beautifully, and I just feel like it perfectly captures the message of Christmas, the message of Jesus' whole entire life. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who have said yes to Jesus, have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. He's saying, guys, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God with us. In the name of Jesus, God with us. You've been set free. That sin in your life has been nailed to the cross. It has been dead. Stop handing it the keys to your life. You don't have to do that anymore. Sin is not your master anymore. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What's practical? What do you do with a message like this? It's your first time here every single week at DHC. We put this word up on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So for this message today, it's a little bit more philosophical than we normally do. I want to speak to two groups, but first I want to talk to the Christians in the room. As we kind of point towards the new year, we start thinking about New Year's Eve, New Year, New You, all that kind of thing. Remember the promise of Christmas. Remember what Jesus said his whole life. Remember the promise that he came to set you free. So if you're trying to fix things in your life, when you're trying to leave the past behind you, remember, you don't have to live a defeated life in Christ. That is not why he came. Life can be different with him in your life. Now, for those of you in the room who are not Christians, who have not said yes to Jesus, maybe somebody dragged you here today, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, coworker, and they promised you lunch afterwards, I don't know. Let me say something to you. Yeah, I don't know you. Now, maybe I do. Um, I don't know what's going on in your life. But I just want to say to you today, and I say it with all due respect, and I just want to say it very clearly, sin doesn't have to be your master either. And you may not call it sin, that's what I call it. You may just call it baggage, bad habits, past, you just can't seem to shake. It doesn't have to always be with you. And if you feel tired by what you're going through, or bogged down and you just can't do it anymore with all of this stuff. You need to know that Christmas 
is a standing invitation from God the Father to invite you into a relationship where sin is not your master anymore, where you can be set free and have the power to walk away from all the things that are tying you down. I would just consider that over the next couple of days as we celebrate Christmas. Let's not make it the same old thing. Let's change the way that we think about Christmas. We think about our lives and we think about Jesus. Because he came to this world, yes, to die for our sins. But to give us life. And life to the fullest. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity for us to come here today. I want to thank you for the gift of Jesus. Lord, that because of him, should we say yes to him, we will be made right with you. Lord, but it's so much more than that. And I don't know how we forgot this, and maybe we never knew. But today, in this season, help us to remember that you sent your son to this world so that we could have life now, today, in this moment, and life in the full. And every single one of us, at some level, in some aspect, in some way, has handed a part of our life over to sin. Every single one of us is dealing with something that has just taken us under control, that is calling the shots. I pray that today, Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would help us to remember that we've actually already been set free from those things, that we don't have to live that life, that you've called us for more, that you want more for us. There's a bigger story that you are writing, Lord. Thank you that we can call you Emmanuel, that you are not some distant God, that you are right here with us, in us, helping us. I place all these requests in the name of Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. Amen.